There is a man who lives in Brookville, Indiana, on a lake who has an image of me permanently seared into his brain. Now, here, here's the thing. Um, I, I've never really been big into boating. It's not something I've done, but in college, I was serving with the youth ministry, and um, the youth minister thought that it would be a good idea to take some of the seniors to his in-law's lake house in Brookville, Indiana for a day of, of boating and tubing and, and ski-doing and just kind of hanging out and kind of getting them ready for their senior year of high school. And so he invited me along, and I went with him. And so throughout the day, you know, we're, we're tubing, and, and I was dri- driving the ski to a couple times because I didn't trust anybody else. I'd never done it before, but I didn't trust anybody else to drive it. And then later on in the day, as, as things were winding down, one of the kids said, hey, I haven't gotten a chance to drive a ski do yet. And Andy, the youth minister, said, okay, but you can't go alone. It's, you know, it's like the rule. You have to have somebody with you. And nobody wanted to go with this kid. I found out Why? And I was like, well, I guess I can do it. And so here I am now riding on the back. I don't know if you've ever done the jet ski, ski-do thing, but there's a pretty, pretty, pretty serious rule that you don't want to stop because when you stop is when you really start to lose control. So you need to keep it moving at all times. And so, so we start, and, and they're driving, and we're, we're kind of moving you know, at, at, a, at a decent pace, and they're kind of getting the hang of it. And so I start to breathe just a little bit and relax. I'm like, all right, we'll be fine. You know, we'll just do a lap or two around, around this little course here, and then we'll, we'll, be, we'll be done. Well, at the same time, Andy thought it would be funny to try and get the, the person tubing to splash us. And so the person tubing came near us, and, and the waves got a little bit bigger, and the person driving this ski-doo got a little nervous. And they stopped. And it's really hard once you stop moving to get it started again. I don't, I don't even remember because this is the only time I've ever driven a ski And as they stopped, they turned the ski and they turned it right into a man's pontoon boat that was docked. That's not the image that's seared in his head. The image that's seared in his head is me, all six foot three, 220. 25 pounds, it was college, none of you remember it either. Um, Six foot three, 225 pounds of me flying through the air and landing face first into his outboard motor of his John boat. I know, it hurt. (laughs) And so this poor man comes running down, furious that his pontoon boat has now been wrecked. But more than that, more than he told us afterwards, more than certain he was going to find a six foot three, 220 pound dead man floating in the lake behind his house. Because I'll never forget the image of him looking at me saying, son, when I saw you fly through the air, I thought you was dead. And um, I don't know how many of the concussions that I have started there, but, you know, it was one of them. And it was this moment where, where I have my only shipwreck, right? I didn't make it in that video because <laughs> there is no video evidence, fortunately. But it, it's this frightening moment where everything seems to be okay. Everything seems to be going how it should. And then all of a sudden, you just lose control. Right? If you've ever been a passenger in an accident or if you've ever been the victim of an accident on the road, on, on a boat, anywhere, you know that feeling of knowing I can't do anything about this moment right here. It's frightening. I still remember, I don't remember very much about the day before the moment that I went flying through the air and landing face first on an outboard motor, I remember the sheriff coming and I remember insurance companies calling me for weeks and I remember all of those things. But 
But I remember that helpless feeling of being eight, ten feet in the air and just kind of flailing and going, what do I do? And it's this weird feeling to be shipwrecked. I was really excited when, when Justin told me that we'd picked shipwrecked, shipwrecked for our VBS theme because if you search through the Bible, you'll find lots of cool stories about boats and about ships and about shipwrecks and lots of neat things that happen. And so I was thinking through it, and so, you know, we were like, hey, when Vacation Bible School comes around, let's do a sermon series around Vacation Bible School to kind of help everybody get involved and get excited. And and next Sunday, before I forget to tell you guys, next Sunday is VBS kickoff at June 10th is next Sunday. Only at the 1030 service, there will not be a 9 o'clock service next week. So 1030 service, we'll have our kickoff for VBS, and I was like, I'll preach preach around it for a couple weeks. It'll be a really cool thing. And then we got the curriculum, and the shipwrecked VBS tells zero stories from the Bible about shipwrecks. I was mad. There's some good stuff in there. There's some great biblical teaching, and the kids are going to learn stuff. But I'm like, man, there are so many awesome shipwreck and ocean stories in the Bible. Why did we skip all of them? Group has not responded to my emails because apparently they don't care what I think. But we'll find out soon enough. But I I couldn't stop thinking about shipwreck. And so for us, for a couple weeks, we're going to talk about shipwrecks in the Bible. Because for some of you, a shipwreck is a pretty apropos description of what your life looks like right now. Right? It's how it feels, it's how it's been, it's how it looks, and shipwreck. Because typically, in a shipwreck, everything goes under, everything is lost. Right? You're all familiar with the story of the Titanic, when deemed one of the largest disasters in an ocean liner of all time. It's not the most deadly. That happened actually in the 1970s. But it's one of the largest, most famous um, disasters of ocean liners of all time. Sorry if you haven't seen the movie yet. Yes, the boat does sink at the very end. Um, But here's what's interesting about Titanic. One of the most famous stories from the Titanic is that the captain threatened to shoot any man who tried to board a lifeboat. And the lifeboats were reserved for women and children. But here's what I found that's so interesting about the Titanic and shipwrecks in general. If you are a woman, you have an 18% chance of surviving a fatal shipwreck. If you are a man, you have a 35% chance of surviving a fatal shipwreck. I thought that was really interesting that the captain was insistent. I don't know, it's just one of those things that y'all are like, what does this have anything to do with anything? Let's go home. (laughs) But... um, the most expensive shipwreck of all time, second service is not going to hear that stat, we'll just move on from it. This most expensive shipwreck of all time is the ship called the San Jose. They discovered it in 2015 and they believe that the treasure on board at the time, or now in modern day money, would be worth something in the neighborhood of $17 billion of gold. This is the most expensive shipwreck of all time. And you know about shipwrecks like the Exxon Valdez, you know about shipwrecks like the Lusitania, and you know all of those stories. But for you, you're thinking, yeah, I I know about shipwrecks because my life is pretty much a shipwreck. And I feel like we're lost at sea, right? And you don't have the, the life vest There wasn't a lifeboat for you to get on. It just started for you. 
and there's this collision and everybody's treading water just trying to keep their head above it and you have no idea what happened, how it happened, or what you're going to do next. One of the most famous shipwreck stories in the Bible happens in the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter 27. We're going to skim through it, but we'll be in Acts chapter 27 if you want to turn there or get out your phone and and go to the Bible app. But it's in Acts chapter 27. Acts is the book that happens after Jesus goes back to heaven. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. Those are the biographies of Jesus. And then in Acts is what, how the church gets started. But a large portion of Acts is devoted to the story of one man, and that one man is a guy named Paul. And towards the end of his story in Acts, we hear the story of Paul in a shipwreck. Paul is the guy... You may remember his name was Saul, and it changed to Paul because Jesus changed his life. He went from the guy who killed Christians to the guy who led Christians. And Paul is this guy who who starts leading missionary journeys across the world. He starts planting churches in every city he's going to. Paul becomes this, this huge difference maker in the life of the church. But eventually, more than once, Paul gets arrested. He gets arrested because the people don't like what he's doing. They think he's a troublemaker. But every time they think he's causing dissension and and, and difference, they don't understand what he's trying to do. But every time Paul gets arrested, he uses his arrests as an opportunity to continue to spread his mission. In fact, before you get to 27, there's a story in Acts chapter 26 where they they actually tell him, if you just want to go, we'll set you free. But instead, he says, I am a Roman citizen, and I'm using my power as a Roman citizen to appeal to Caesar. Right? This is, as a Roman citizen, this is the most powerful thing he can do. This is the the most powerful weapon in his cadre of, of weapons for defense in this day and age. And he says, I don't want to be free. He said, I want to get to Caesar. You see, it wasn't that he was fighting his case. It was that he wanted to find as many opportunities as he could to preach the gospel to as many people as possible. And the way the law worked in Rome, he, he couldn't be denied. He asked to appeal to Caesar. They had to find a way to get him to Rome to appeal to Caesar. And so they put Paul on a prison ship. And it's a ship, um, this is a cartoon rendering. This is not the actual picture of the ship. Kodak has not developed those pictures yet. Um, Eh, that's all right. That was lame. Sorry, we'll get some better ones here going. But they put him on, on a ship that looks something like that, and this prison ship was designed to transport prisoners. But Paul knows that he is going to Rome on a mission. And so the, the guy who wrote the book of Acts is a guy named Luke, and Luke is with Paul in some points of the book. Other points, it's stuff that he's heard from other people, but, but Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he says this, starting in verse 4, he says, from there we put out to sea and again and passed the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Remember, there's no outboard motor, there's only rowing and sailing. Those are the only two ways to get anywhere at this point. So he said, we made, in verse 7, he says, we made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sinidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Salmon. And then skip to verse 9, and he says, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because now it was the day after atonement. If you're in the first century in the Middle East like they were, you know that from roughly March to November, that's the time when you can set sail in the sea. 
That's the time when the weather's the most calm. That's the time when it's the most predictable, when it's the most, when it's the most un- easy to understand. If you start sailing in your journey much after October, you're in for it. And this isn't just something that Luke said. This is something that historians have found that Pliny the Elder and Lucian the Historian, that both of them have said that there was no way you could sail after October. You better have your journey finished by the beginning of November or you would be sunk. And so Luke's writing here when he says the Day of Atonement, you might have heard of the Jewish holiday Yom Kippur. Um, Yom Kippur is, is in the late fall, early to mid-late fall. And... Um, and so, so Luke's writing, listen, this is not good sailing time. We know that we shouldn't be going right here. But Paul knows that God's plan for him is to preach to as many people as possible. And it's been made clear to Paul that he needs to get to Rome. And so they set sail. And I, and I want to stop because I, I think it's important for us to ask this question. If God made it clear to Paul to get to Rome, wouldn't God have made it easy for Paul to get to Rome? Wouldn't God have had the power and the, and the strength to, to set forth the perfect sailing conditions to get Paul exactly where he needed to be at that exact moment? Or would there be some struggles? Right, because you know this, because you've made it, you know that God has put on your heart. God's never spoken to you. God's never spoken to me. That's okay. But, but God's put clear on your heart that it, it's your dream to be, to be married and, and you're still single. God's put it on your heart that it's clear that it's your dream to have kids and the, the kids just haven't come. God's put it on your heart that it, it's God's plan for your life to have this job and they keep telling you no. God put it in your life that it's clear for your, your kids to grow and, and, and be who God wanted them to be and, and they're, they're on a different path and you're going, I don't, I don't understand. But I want you to know that just because things are not going how you planned, it doesn't mean that that's not part of God's plan. You see, check this out in verse 10. It says, Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. And Paul's going, look, guys, look, I know I need to get to Rome. I know it's been made clear that I'm going to Rome. He said, but if we go to Rome right now, it's going to cost us. But the centurion had a job to do. He didn't want to be in charge of, of these prisoners anymore. He didn't want to be the one who held Paul back from his rights. And so Paul's going, no, no, no. But the pilot of the ship, the owner of the ship, and they're going, no, we're going. We'll risk it. And so this is kind of what, what happens. is Storms in your life happen. The bad things in your life occur. And you start to ask yourself a couple questions. The first question you might ask is, is this my fault? Is this happening because I ignored the voice of God? Is this happening because, because God put something on my heart, because I, some people in my life told me what I needed to do and I didn't do it? Is this why this is happening? Am I, am I being punished? The second thing that happens is, is maybe you think things are going the way they're supposed to, then the shipwreck occurs and your life is a disaster and you're thinking, what did I do to deserve this? Right, because everything was going fine until the day you walked in and the boss said, we're sorry, but we've had to downsize and you're one of them. 
Everything seems like it's going fine until you hear the doctor say the words terminal. And you didn't even know you had it. Everything seems to be going okay until one day your kid comes home and they're completely, completely the opposite of what you'd hope they'd be. And they say, Mom, I need to tell you. Dad, I need to tell you. Everything in your life seems to be going okay until a bill comes that you didn't expect and it sets off this, this, this snowball that you just cannot stop because one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And now all of a sudden these storms rage in your life and you're going, I, I didn't, I, wh- huh? This is not what I expected. This is not what I planned. This is not what I had hoped for. And I want you to put yourself in the place of Paul. They already knew that this trip would be a long trip, right? Sailing in the first century was going to take a while. But tack on to the fact that they're sailing in bad weather, tack on to the fact that things are actually going to get worse, this long trip is going to be even longer. And you can relate, can't you? You know about how something that you thought this isn't going to go well is now in its third, fourth, fifth year. You know how life has been hard for you and how life has been difficult for you and here you go, yet another day, yet another week, yet another month. It just keeps going. Luke says, when a gentle south wind began to blow, in verse 13 he says, they saw their opportunity and so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster, we, we, we know that term, right? A hurricane, a typhoon, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. And so we gave way to it and were driven along. At this point, there's nothing else we can do besides just let this storm carry us. We cannot fight it. We don't know where we're going to end up. We just have to go. And as we passed the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, and so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to try and hold it together because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars of citrus, and they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. He says, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to, overthrow, they began to throw the cargo overboard. Don't look past that. There are 276 prisoners aboard this boat, but more valuable than the prisoners are the cargo that they're trying to transport. And so when things get dangerous enough that the the sailors have to start throwing cargo overboard, they're literally throwing money overboard, right? If If they get to the destination without the cargo, none of the rest of this matters. And so now they're losing their cargo And this is on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So now they're taking down the mast, they're taking down sails, they're taking whatever they can to try and lighten the load of the ship. And if you've been in a storm, if you are in a storm, you know this. You've you've given up, you've fought, you've tossed everything you can toss, and there's still this pain, there's still this hurt. There's still this moment that comes where you're thinking, I have done everything I can do up to this point. What am I going to do? And you start to feel hopeless. Luke knows that feeling. 
Because in verse 20, he says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued, continued raging, we all finally gave up hope of being saved. And this is what happens. Is that the storm rages and, 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 it, and it comes and it comes and it comes and it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how hard you fight, you just see the darkness and you just see the pain and you're trying to fight it and you finally just say, you know what? I'm done. I haven't seen the sun, I haven't seen the stars. I'm done because they said they're done. I'm done because it can't get any better. I'm done because it can't get any, and it certainly can't get any worse. And so you give up. Things were so desperate on this ship that the men of the the crew and, and most of the men stopped eating. Not because there weren't supplies, but because they didn't know how long they'd be at sea. And so they started saying, you know what, for intervals of time, we need to not eat to save food so that we can live longer. And the rations were scarce already, and now they're even more scarce. And listen to what Luke says in verse 21. He says, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stands up to them and he says, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. And so Paul has this moment where he stands up and he says, We're miserable right now. Told you so. But more than that, I, I want you to catch that how important this next part is because Paul, Paul the one who said this, this journey shouldn't happen, but Paul the one who knows that this journey is part of God's plan, right? In the same vein, he's going, we shouldn't sail, but I know that God's telling me to get to Rome. He's saying, we really shouldn't be doing this. I don't think it's a safe. I don't think it's a good idea. But he's saying, but God's made it clear that this is what I need to do. Listen to what he says in verse 22. He says, now I urge you, keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. He says, last night, I wish this would happen in my life so badly, but he says, last night an angel of the God whom I belong to and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith that in God it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And so Paul stands up in front of a boat full of hungry, discouraged, hopeless guys. And he says, men, don't give up. Don't stop fighting. Don't think it's over. And so to you today, What I say is don't give up. Don't stop fighting. Don't let the darkness win the day. There are people who will tell you that you know when your life is going right because it's easy in the plan of God. And I'll tell you that's not true. I'll tell you that Paul was going exactly where he needed to go and that an angel of the Lord came to him and said, you have to keep going. And it was still hard. I'll tell you that we don't have it that clear, that God doesn't typically, I say this because I will never say God doesn't do something. I've never heard God speak to me in an audible voice. I don't know 
anyone that I trust who would tell you that God's spoken to them in an audible voice. God works differently in our lives today through Scripture and through, through wise counsel and, and through the Holy Spirit inside of us. But, but I, I, I tell you this to tell you that God is telling you not to give up. Not that it'll be easy, not that it'll be smooth sailing, but do not give Because once safely on shore, in chapter 28, verse 1, we found out that the island was called Malta. And the ship was damaged, but every life was spared. And the terrible journey was over. And Paul would tell you, it won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. Because at the end of Acts chapter 28 and verse 30, it says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Because in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the pain, Paul said, I don't, I don't know, I don't see, I don't understand. But at the end... He spent two years in Rome preaching and teaching anyone who would hear him about Jesus. About who Jesus is. And I I so desperately wish for you and me that an angel would come while we're laying in bed and say, this is what you're going to do. This is what you need to know. This is what needs to happen next. Fight through it. I don't know if that would make life easier or not, but I think it would. And I don't have that for you. What I do have is a couple promises that God wrote in Scripture that I believe with all my heart. Those promises go like this. In John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. I know that it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, that my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Amen. And I know that he promises us in Revelation chapter 21 that he will wipe every tear from their eyes, that there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And so to those of you who who struggle because your family's falling apart, to those of you who struggle because your job is getting more and more hopeless by the day, to you who struggle because here you stand yet another day and another doctor and another diagnosis that just doesn't seem to go the way you want, to those of you who feel lost and afraid, God promises you life. God promises you hope. That through the darkness, through the pain, through the midst of your most awful moments in your day and in your life, God promises hope. There is hope. There is another side to the storm. There is an end to the storm. And it may not even be in this life. It may not be on this earth. But God promises that though you feel shipwrecked, that though you feel abandoned, that though you feel hopeless, there is hope. 
And so here's what I want to close with today. In a fireside chat in 1939, when it seemed like the world was falling apart, Hitler was invading Europe, the depression was still taking place in America, and things seemed hopeless. Franklin Delano Roosevelt sat, by the, sat in his office and recorded a fireside chat. And the end of the fireside chat went something like this, to reach a port, we must sail. Sail, not tie at anchor. Sail, not drift. And so my friends, to you today, what I say is that the port we're reaching for is heaven. The port we're reaching for is the hope beyond hope. And what I'm telling you is do not anchor, do not drift, but sail towards what God has called you to in your life. Sail towards the hope that God gives you in life. Sail to the promise of eternal life with Him. Don't give up. Don't stop fighting. Don't let the storm determine your direction. But continue on, because God has promised for you hope. The reason that God has promised to us hope is because of what we are about to do. The reason that God has promised to us hope is because that in His infinite wisdom, God sent His Son, His only Son, to die so that you and I would get through the storms of life and know that there is something much greater on the other side. Know that there is something much greater when the storm is over and that hope is heaven. And so it's in that hope, it's in that pain, it's in that storm that we can be reminded that Jesus came and he endured the darkness and he endured the death so that you and I could have that hope. His body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. This is how we remember him, his hope.